My name is Einat Wilf, and this is the We Should All Be Zionists podcast. Each week, I'll be reading one essay from my latest collection of essays book, We Should All Be Zionists, on issues facing the Jewish people and Israelis today, conflict, peace, religion, politics, past, present, and future. At the end, I'll be joined by columnist Blake Flayton for a discussion on the themes of the essay and how they apply to contemporary Israel and Jewish life. You can purchase your own copy of We Should All Be Zionists anywhere you get your books. Thanks for listening. Let's start. How UNRWA Prevents Gaza from Thriving Op-Ed co-authored with Adi Schwartz for Haaretz, June 2018 It's the same old tune, renewed discussion about reconstructing and redeveloping the Gaza Strip. Again, people are talking about some kind of arrangement for managing Gaza's reconstruction, whether under Egyptian, Qatari, or American auspices. There's more talk of huge investments in a port and in water and power infrastructures and about creating jobs. Wasted efforts all. They're doomed to fail, the same as all the other reconstruction attempts in recent years. As long as the political landmine at the heart of the matter the perpetuation of the status of Gaza's residents as refugees from Palestine is not diffused, there's no real possibility for rebuilding and developing the Gaza Strip. The problem is that Gaza's inhabitants do not view that piece of land as their home, but rather as a transit camp they will inhabit until the day they can return to what they believe is their home. Because of this, they will far prefer to invest their efforts and resources in returning to their true home, by force if necessary, than in cultivating the temporary one where they currently reside. Of the 1.8 million people living in Gaza, 1.3 million are registered as refugees with the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, UNRWA. In other words, three-quarters of the people in the Gaza Strip possess a status that is by definition temporary in character when granted to someone who is in between permanent residence in one locale and permanent habitation in a second place. When UNRWA was established in the wake of the 1947-49 war, it spent its few, first few years in an earnest effort to assist the Arab refugees from the war, the Jewish ones were taken care of by the newly established State of Israel, in rebuilding their lives in their new locations, whether in the West Bank and Gaza, Jordan, Lebanon, or Syria. But within a few short years, it became painfully clear that neither the Palestinians themselves nor the Arab host countries were willing to let this process take place as it would legitimize the outcome of the war in the form of the establishment of the State of Israel. Having failed to prevent the vote on partition in the UN General Assembly, or prevent partition itself and the birth of Israel through war and military invasions, the Palestinians and the Arab host states 
mobilized to turn the demand for return to Israel into one of the central means by which the outcome of the war in the form of a sovereign state for the Jewish people could be undone. To that end, UNRWA then was taken over by the Palestinians, becoming an organization that would grant them the official status of refugees until that day of return. These 1.3 million refugees, some of whom are the fifth generation of Palestinian families who arrived in the Strip in 1948, long for the moment when they will be able to return to their ancestral homes, most of which do not exist anymore, in Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Be'er Sheva, and believe that this moment is possible and close at hand. Their dream, and that of their brethren in the West Bank, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria, has coalesced into a collective demand whose import was and continues to be a continuing war on Israel by other means. Clinging to the dream of return makes it possible for the Palestinians not to accept the consequences of their defeat and to believe that even if they lost a few battles, the overall war against Zionism still isn't over. Still, there's a tangible difference between dreams and the demands that are nurtured by international support under UN sanction. The state of Israel cannot exert a direct influence on the Palestinian dream of return, but it can definitely act to deny the dream the fuel that sustains it, and that fuel comes from the West. Under the influence of various interests in the Arab world, the international community became complicit in the process of leaving so many Palestinians in a legal, social, and economic limbo, awaiting return. The West in particular, providing the bulk of the funds for UNRWA's operations, unwittingly became the central source of sustenance for the Palestinian idea that it is better to continue to struggle for return rather than come to terms with the legitimacy of Israel and build a new life of prosperity in the West Bank and Gaza. This has to change. Israel can and should intervene with UNRWA's donor countries, the United States, Australia, Britain, and the European Union, and insist that they cease and desist from supporting the Palestinian demand to annihilate Israel by way of their support for UNRWA. Countries that officially support the two-state solution cannot underwrite an organization whose aim is to ensure that the Jewish people, as a people, will not have a sovereign state. UNRWA's essence involves making it clear to the more than 70% of Gaza's inhabitants registered as refugees that Gaza is not their true home. It does so by providing the political infrastructure that grants Palestinians the status of refugees, which they would not otherwise merit if international standards were applied to them. By passing the status onto their descendants automatically and in perpetuity, while opposing any effort to find solutions for those registered as refugees, other than in the context of the collective demand for return. It is this that UNRWA often refers to by the code words just solution and legitimate rights, of which it calls itself the protector. UNRWA makes it clear to the refugees in Gaza and in all its, of its other areas of operations that their true home, wrested from them by force, lies across the border. People who grow up with that belief will assuredly use cement when given it, 
not to build permanent homes, but to dig tunnels to the place which, as far as they are concerned, is their real home. It is not only parents and grandparents who cultivate this dream. Everyday residents go into the streets of Gaza and see UNRWA signs on the schools and clinics that the organization operates. They read those signs to mean that the UN, that is the world community, recognizes them as refugees and encourages their return to Israel. The chances of reconstructing and developing the Gaza Strip will be greater without UNRWA, And even if some benefit accrues to cooperation with the UN organization in Gaza, it is far outweighed by the damage the agency has wrought. Ever since 1967, when Israel's security establishment chose to cooperate with UNRWA and enable its ongoing operations in the West Bank and Gaza, it has argued that UNRWA is a moderating force without whose education and healthcare services greater violence would prevail. But given that in Gaza and Lebanon, where UNRWA's operations are most extensive and the ratio of Palestinians served by UNRWA who still live in refugee camps is the greatest, 50% as compared to 25% in the West Bank and 18% in Jordan, the time has come to ask how many Israeli soldiers and civilians have been killed in the rounds of fighting in Gaza and Lebanon because of the extreme terrorist elements that the refugee camp culture there has spawned. Israel has declared preventing aggravation of the situation in Gaza as a security interest, and it still operates on the assumption that it is not possible to aid this trip without UNRWA, which is helping to prevent the humanitarian disaster there. Indeed, because UNRWA has succeeded in concealing its political raison d'etre of sustaining the Palestinian demand for return designed to undo Israel, and it has done so under humanitarian guise, It enjoys cooperation from Israel as well as international funding. In Gaza, the organization has also become, in good part thanks to Israel, the principal conduit for the international aid that is supposed to be used to rebuild the Gaza Strip. That is a mistake. UNRWA cannot be a true and sincere partner in Gaza's reconstruction. On the contrary, the fact that UNRWA is a major actor in the attempts to rebuild Gaza plays a decisive part in the repeated failure of those efforts. Perhaps Israel cannot take away the Palestinians' dream to return to Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Be'er Sheva, but at the very least, it can and should take action to terminate international support for the agency that stokes that dream. As such, it is necessary first and foremost to recognize the fact that the damage caused to Israel by UNRWA's continued existence dwarfs any tactical advantage it may offer. It is possible, however, to preserve Israel's security interests while aiding in the development of Gaza and preventing further deterioration of living conditions and growing extremism. First, Israel must demand that every international move to rebuild and develop the Gaza Strip be accompanied by clear declarations on the part of donor countries certainly the Western ones, that they do not recognize the claim that the residents of Gaza are refugees from Palestine. On the contrary, Israel must demand that the donor countries assert that because Gaza is part of Palestine and because Israel has no territorial claims on it, 
All residents of Gaza are Palestinian Gazans, and they have no right to make claims to the sovereign territory of the state of Israel or demand return by virtue of their being registered as refugees from Palestine. They already live in Palestine. It is time to tell the Palestinians loud and clear, there is no right of return, and there never will be. The future of the Gazans is in Gaza. There will be no Arab Palestine from the sea to the river. There can be an Arab Palestine in Gaza and the West Bank, but certainly not one that supersedes Israel. In fact, the price of a Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza is forgoing any claims to an Arab Palestine in the rest of the territory where Israel exists. Second, Israel itself must announce that the termination of its voluntary cooperation with UNRWA and the Gaza Strip. The fact that Israel did cooperate for so long stems from decades of short-sightedness, during which such cooperation seemed to be providing quiet. But that quiet was ultimately bought at a bloody cost, due to the conflict's prolongation and exacerbation. If an arrangement becomes possible in which the Palestinian Authority is once more the main administrative factor in Gaza, it can become the principal channel for aid. The countries that donate to UNRWA will be able to transfer the hundreds of millions of dollars they now give to UNRWA annually directly to the PA to benefit UNRWA hospitals and schools. Nothing will change in terms of the actual provision of services, only the sign outside the buildings. The UNRWA school will become the school of the PA, but students, teachers, and curriculum will remain the same. Likewise for the hospitals. The Palestinians are likely to continue teaching in those schools that all of Palestine is exclusively theirs, but they would no longer do so under the aegis of the UN. Such steps will show that Israel does not object to the services being provided in a manner that helps build an infrastructure for a functioning Palestinian state, but does object to their provision through an organization that is actively preserving the dream of Israel's destruction. If the PA is unable to operate in Gaza, aid should be transferred through a new and apolitical umbrella organization whose only purpose would be the reconstruction and development of the Strip. Israel would declare its willingness to take far-reaching actions on behalf of this effort, but make them conditional on the establishment of the new organization and transfer of all of UNRWA's activity to this organization, whose operations would not involve granting refugee status to its clients. If the United Nations is capable of acting instantaneously to dispatch rescue operations to disaster areas around the world and to assist earthquake victims in Haiti or tsunami victims in Southeast Asia without necessarily classifying them as refugees, it is also capable of doing so in Gaza. Another possibility is for the Western donor countries to act in conjunction with other humanitarian organizations already operating in Gaza, such as USAID, UNICEF, and others. Every one of these groups is preferable to UNRWA because UNRWA links the humanitarian aid that Gaza needs to its own political support for the idea of return. And this only precludes the possibility of any future reconciliation between the people. The rebuilding process must be based on the simple insight that those who live in the Gaza Strip will themselves invest their efforts and resources in the Strip only if they believe that their future lies there. 
Therefore, it is out of the question to entrust rebuilding efforts to those who are subverting that message. It's not by chance that over time, significantly larger sums per capita have funneled into the efforts to develop Gaza and into UNRWA than went into the Marshall Plan. As long as the ostensible reconstruction efforts are implemented by those who do not truly wish to build a new future for the residents in question, this will be a bottomless pit. Only decision to stop fueling the idea of return completely will create a true chance to rehabilitate Gaza so that its inhabitants will transform it into a worthy place and in the long run perhaps achieve something else, coming to terms with the legitimacy of the state of Israel as the sovereign state of the Jewish people on the path to peace. So a not the central thesis of this latest piece, of course, sounds a lot like the central thesis to your book co-authored with Adi Schwartz called The War of Return. I believe the subcaption is, what is it, how Western, Western indulgence of the, the Palestinian Pal- dream has obstructed the path to peace. Um, and I, you know, I'm thinking back in the last several years at these Western powers and these Western governments. And in 2021, and I think you wrote a piece about this later on in the, in the book, uh, the Biden administration gave $150 million to UNRWA. And then in 2022, it was even more than that. I think it was like $210, $215 million. You have to ask yourself, if we can understand this argument, and if all of the people who read The War of Return can understand this argument, then you would assume that foreign policy experts and the peacemaking uh, people in the halls of power would be able to understand this, and the president would be able to understand this, especially a president who espouses his support for a two-state solution. So why don't they? Why is this a no-brainer for us? We know what UNRWA is. We know its function. We know what it's doing in the long run. Why don't you? So I can give a lot of explanations that have to do with the fact, and I've encountered it with a lot of Western diplomats, is that if you come to terms with the fact that at the core of the conflict is the Arab-Palestinian refusal to come to terms with a Jewish state in any borders, then solving the conflict becomes a much different proposal than let's remove settlements or let's end the occupation or things of the sort because none of these things would do anything to address the fundamental question that even if there was not a single settlement tomorrow, even if the Israeli military retreated completely from the West Bank as it did from Gaza, that would only that would do nothing because from the Palestinian perspective, this is not the war. The war is over the very existence of a Jewish state in any borders. And peacemakers don't want to undertake a process that, who knows, might take generations. So that's kind of one explanation. But then there's a really simple one, and it's unfortunately a real one, which is the Israeli military continues to be the number one lobbyist for UNRWA. Because, unfortunately, military people don't understand narratives. They don't understand long-term thinking. 
They think that UNRWA buys them quiet, and that's what we addressed. I mean, this goes back to 1967 with Moshe Dayan within a matter of weeks saying we're going to keep working with UNRWA, even though Israel is now in control of the West Bank and Gaza. Um, because the thinking is, okay, it does schools, it does uh, clinics, this is good, this buys us quiet. What the military doesn't think about is that it actually buys us another generation of war. And on my more cynical days, I joke that the Israeli military and UNRWA are cooperating to ensure that they both stay in business forever. And that's definitely interesting. And definitely, I mean, now there's a lot of people, especially since in the publication yeah. of The War of Return, who are very upset with UNRWA and very upset at Western governments. But once you add the Israeli military into the mix that perhaps this is a double-edged sword, I think the solution becomes more confusing because how do you get the Israeli military to stop supporting them? Exactly, because what you're good... This, this is in many ways a no-brainer for most Westerners. The Palestinians uh, want UNRWA. The Israeli military establishment tells them it wants UNRWA. Why should they show any independent thinking? You know, that, so for them, it's an easy one. They're just going to give over the money. Uh, I have made many efforts over the years uh, to convince uh, people in the Israeli military with some success, but I was also blamed for instigating a third intifada because, you know, they actually do understand that if you touch UNRWA, you touch the core of the Palestinian ethos. You touch exactly what they value more than anything. And their vision is, we're not going to touch it. We just, you know, we need this country to be quiet another week, another two weeks, another three weeks. We'll deal with it when the time comes. I want to bring the conflict to a close and that requires removing the fuel that sustains the conflict. And apparently it requires courage, <laughs> uh, yep. which is a little depressing. Uh, you mentioned in this piece that a way out of this and a way to really honor what some in the West believe to be the Palestinian demand of an independent state next to Israel instead of, instead of Israel um, is if the PA filled its own shoes more. If the PA replaced the UNRWA hospital and schools, because that way, even if incitement is still being taught in those schools, even if those schools are still claiming that all of Palestine belongs to the Arabs and not the Jews, it won't be with a stamp of approval from the United Nations and therefore becomes so somewhat of more localized traditional conflict. So the question is, if the Palestinian Authority wants to fill the role of the legitimate representation of the Palestinian people on the world stage, if they want that seat at the United Nations, then why haven't they done this? Why haven't they confronted, you know, third parties like UNRWA and different programs that that facilitate life in Gaza and in, well, we know why in Gaza, but in the West Bank, why hasn't the PA done this if, if, if international recognition is so important to them? Because the PA doesn't want a Palestinian state if the price of that state is renouncing return, renou accepting that the Jewish state is here to stay. That's not a role that they want to play. That's not a role that any Palestinian is pushing them to play. Our recommendation is for the West to call their bluff. 
Again, the West doesn't want to do it for a variety of reasons because then they would have to work a little harder, much harder. But this is about calling their bluff. It's about saying, okay, we're going to give you all the money that we're currently giving to UNRWA. You know what? We're going to give you double, triple. So it's not about the money. We're going to give you the money, but we're going to give it to you in a way that actually builds a state. So for every school that you take over from UNRWA, and there are already PA schools. I mean, there's lots of them. So you have two parallel systems. So for every school you take over from UNRWA, nothing changes. You know, same teachers, everything. You just change the sign on the door. We're going to give you triple the money for that school. This is a great way to just call their bluff because it basically says it's not going to be about the money. It's not going to be about the services. So all this discourse about humanitarian services, that's out. Of, that's not an issue, but you're ending the global legitimacy for the idea that the the child of a middle-class lawyer in Ramallah is somehow a refugee from Palestine. We're going to end that fiction. The PA is not going to say yes to that. If they say yes to that, we are having peace. The next day, we can sign a peace agreement. They're much more likely to say no, and then we'll be calling the bluff that this is not about building a sovereign state for the Palestinians. Uh, they still remain wedded to the ethos of from the river to the sea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my final question that I think pulls the lens back a little bit more, because this is a, a charge that I have have received multiple times, especially when talking about UNRWA and about the corruption and about the root of the conflict in general, which you accurately pinpoint as return. And that's why peace negotiations have fallen apart, et cetera, et cetera, is if the Jews were allowed to return after 2000 years, then why aren't the Palestinians allowed to return after, what is it, 75 years at this point? And then a follow-up question to that because the people who talk about return all the time put it in the context of a human right. Is it a human right? So the first part is, if we were allowed to return to our ancestral homeland, then what's keeping them from doing the same with the same legitimacy? And is that very essence that we exercised a human right? So my answer to that is that I wish the Palestinians treated the issue of return the same way that the Jews did. The Jews and Zionism, it was not about return. You know, Jews could always immigrate to the land of Israel over the centuries. The idea of Zionism and the game changer in Jewish history is when Jews wanted sovereignty. And the genius of Zionism is that it was laser focused on sovereignty. Yes, sovereignty in the land of Israel, because it's the only territory where the Jews make sense as a people, where they could actually mobilize in an effective way to become a people. But historically, whenever the Zionist movement uh, faced a choice, sovereignty or biblical land, sovereignty or return in the Palestinian sense, like every square inch wherever a Jew ever existed, it always chose sovereignty in part of the land, which is why the Jews have a state. 
the Palestinian idea of return was never innocent. It was never about this individual idea of like, I want to return to my home, even though it was presented this way. If you look at it historically, as we do in the book, The War of Return, it emerged as an idea for collectively continuing the war against the Jewish state. So it was always intended not as a goal in itself. Again, Jewish return was never a goal. Jewish sovereignty was the goal. And I wish that Palestinians had the goal of sovereignty, because if they had the goal of sovereignty, they would have achieved it in the 30s and the 40s, and no one would have been displaced, right? If they had said yes to partition in 1947, there would not even have been a question of refugees and return because they would have had a sovereign Arab state. So I wish, I wish that the Palestinians actually uh, prioritized sovereignty over return the same way that the Zionist movement did. In terms of a, of a human right, again, that is a complete invention. The idea of uh, refugees in war uh, having a right, a legal right, to return to the territory from which they fled is not a right. Uh, actually, throughout the 20th century, because the 20th century was marked by the dissolution of empires and their replacement by nation states and the bloody drawing of borders, you had refugee movements all across Europe and Asia and Africa. And the understanding was that once these refugee movements, these population movements happened, there's no return. Because if you kept the idea of return alive, you would actually keep the idea of war alive, which again is exactly the Palestinian idea. They want to keep the war of 1948 alive. But the rest of the world doesn't want to keep the European wars or the African wars or the Asian wars alive. So they actually did not create a right of people's to return to territory once a new state was established there. If you're a citizen of a state, once the state is established and a citizen, there's some laws around that. But if you're talking at that twilight moment between the empire being dissolved, the British left, the Ottomans left, and new states being established and borders drawn and population moving, once that process ends, the only kind of return happens at the behest of the newly established sovereign state. So the newly established sovereign state of Israel accepted hundreds of thousands of Jewish refugees. So sovereign states have the sovereign right to determine who will be naturalized, who will be a citizen, but there's no right of other peoples to overturn the sovereignty of another state and operate uh, above that sovereignty. The entire UN system and human rights system in many ways is based on the sovereignty of nations. Right. And, you know, a couple months ago, even Benny Morris, who, as we know, is a great critic of Israel and often is in the line of controversy for talking about Israel's relationship with Palestinians, he even said that when you take the, the 1948 war and you put it into a broader context of the 20th century, it was by far one of the more tame and less violent and less lethal conflicts that resulted in, in a significantly less amount of, of, of human tragedy than what else happened in, in the rest of the world. And yet, 
it is looked upon by Western do-gooders, such as the United Nations, with this unique lens. It is particularized to be uniquely evil and uniquely devastating when the Jews of all people have the audacity to be the ones victorious. Uh, and if Benny Morris can identify that, uh, I think all of us should be able to. So Certainly. I mean, there's nothing like historical context, comparative context, to really make you realize that if you strip this conflict of the narratives of Jews, Jerusalem, Islam, Christianity, just a conflict, it's one of the least interesting, least important, and certainly least violent conflicts in the world. Yeah, my sister's neighborhood in Chicago, I think, is more violent. <laughs> That's not even a little bit of exaggeration, by the way. I think is a little bit more violent than what goes on here on a daily basis. Anyway, thank you so much, Ainat. Uh, if uh, I'm just going to lead with a book promotion for The War of Return. Of course, you can buy uh, We Should All Be Zionists anywhere you get your books. But also, if you want to hear uh, more and a, and a bigger deep dive into the issue of UNRWA and return and the peace processes, you can absolutely buy uh, The War of Return anywhere you get your books. And thanks very much.